Welcome to the New Life Podcast on the Stream Grace Network. Hello and welcome to the next edition of the New Life Podcast. So glad that you're with us today. My name is John Yule, and uh, I've got two of my great friends, my best buddies, and my amigos. I've got my father who's with us. Hey, Pop. Hey, son. And of course, Jeremy Griffin, the mastermind behind the Stream Grace Network, is also with us. The Holy hey. Spirit is the mastermind. Oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> All right. The Holy Spirit's got to have a channel. <laughs> Jeremy's the channel. But uh, how you doing, Jeremy? Good. Hey, uh, we are going to jump into another topic here in just a few minutes from um, the the whole idea of the end times from Revelations. But um, we just thought we'd take a few minutes and just let you uh, in on just some basic conversations that we're having. And right now we've been talking a lot about just, just uh, theorizing about things that we like or don't like about the organizational component of church. And um, so we've been talking about that. So we're going to continue that for a few minutes. And um, I was talking about, or I want to jump in here that, um, uh, you know, when we look at the whole idea of we're saved by grace, because I can, I am all in on that. There is no way any, I don't believe anybody can earn enough good points mm-hmm. with God to overcome our, the sins that we have committed or whatever. But I do think, I, I wonder sometimes if we've lost um, another facet of it, and that is um, righteous living. You know, yes, we're saved by grace, and yes, everything is covered by the blood of the Lamb and the grace of the Father, but what now? Where I wonder sometimes if we've lost um, that, that aspect of um, the righteous living. Um, you know, Dad and I, you've been, we've been talking through revelations and you know revelations three and there's some other scriptures in revelation that talk about the garment of the the uh, believers in heaven and it specifically says they've been given white linen Mm -hmm. but then they have to prepare themselves and then the when they come into the presence of the lord that that linen that they're wearing is i mean it says it right there is the good deeds of his followers um why do you think, or do you think we've lost some emphasis on the importance of living righteously? I'm not saying we do things to earn something from God, but because of what he's done for us, it generates a, a different view and a different way of living. Yeah. You know, when we think of grace, we think of the unmerited favor, but there's a power side to grace. There's an impartation of strength and ability to live righteously. I know when I was born again years ago, I knew instantly in my heart I had received his grace because peace flooded my soul at that moment. That's the first sensation I recall of when I committed my life to Christ. And then he began to work in me. That that grace, that life that came into me began to work in me. Mm-hmm. There's a scripture that says, he who has begun a good work and you will bring it to completion. My part is simply to cooperate with him and to quote, the Bible says, be led by the Spirit of God, submit, surrender, uh, and respond to the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord that's inside of you. Uh, so I, I, don't think there, I don't think you can technically separate that reality. If you truly have received Christ, His Spirit, there is something in you that has changed you. And there is now a motivational force within you that begins to direct your life almost... Um, um, 
Well, I don't want to say it. I wasn't taught how to live for Christ. I learned how to live for Christ. I mean, in other words, I, I wasn't told do this, do that, do this, do that, though religion tries to do that. Yeah, it does. How it processed in my life was as I just lived day by day, maybe I would say a word I used to say and immediately a check in my heart. Don't, don't, you don't talk like that. You're, you're a Christian now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I don't know. To me, the reality is when you truly experience him, uh, there is a life force now in you that begins to want to live through you. Um, I think the challenge that we have to offer people is you don't have to. It's like you, you, you tell people, God will forgive you of any sin. Come to Christ. No sin can separate you from Christ if you repent of it, which is true. But then once they're in Christ, we say, now you got to jump through this hoop, this hoop, right. this hoop. You start adding yeah. regulations. The church does. Religion does. Yeah. Which totally it's, annihilates the reality of what's in you, which is the life force of God. You just think everything's all truth is parallel. <clears throat> when you're born naturally, you have a natural life process that if everything is equal, you'll grow up into a grown man or woman. You will be functional. You'll be relational and all these things based upon just that life force that's in you. Uh, as you, of course, cooperate. You know, I nobody taught me how to talk. I learned to talk because I heard my mom and dad talk. Mm -hmm. Dad, dad, mama, whatever, you know because there's something in me it's called life so uh i think the challenge is sometimes when we think of this righteousness it's a right standing we now have with him and that right spirit that's in us enables us to live right talk right act right think right and if we'll just respond and be obedient to that directive uh, i think we'll we'll live righteously because our heart that spirit in us will bring a sense of conviction if we say something or do something that that we shouldn't there will be that inner witness um I mean, they didn't have scripture back in, quote, Bible days. They just had to be led by the Spirit, you yeah. know, um, respond to the Holy Spirit that was in them. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I just wanted to see where we'd go. <laughs> what do you think about grace and balancing righteous acts and that kind of thing? <clears throat> well, I think uh, one of the biggest things is understanding that Christ didn't earn it either. Um, you know, we often talk about, we, I mean, we model our lives after Jesus Christ. We see him as our perfect example and all of that's true. But what we have to understand is Christ could have lived the same exact life he lived and not been worthy in God's eyes unless he was born of God. He was born by God right. through a virgin birth. There's a reason yeah. his bloodline was different because we are born into a sinful state. Right. So even if we lived exactly like Christ from birth to death, we would not be justified in the eyes of God unless we accepted that grace. And so I think that, you know, that's something we really know, but I think mankind has a tendency to justify themselves by their works because that's where we focus our example is on, right? So Christ didn't earn it. He didn't lose it either, yeah. <laughs> right? So um, so I just say that, you know, I think that the reality is grace and our works are, are separate pieces um, completely. Grace is, and our works can be or will be, but they're not pre-written. They're not done. They're, you know, none of that. Grace is a thing. It just, ex yeah. it simply exists. And so our acceptance of that, you know, the biggest thing that really comes from it to me is a desire. You know, when you accept that we have um, become right with God, what do we want to do, right? We want to 
to further that. We want other people to become right with God. We want to bless God in our actions, not to justify or merit, but we want to bless God because we love him, right? I mean, I do what I do because I love God, His my relationship with him, not for what he did. It's like I'm friends with a lot of folks, not because of what they do for me, because of who they are. Right. You know, some folks, I mean, if we measured it by what they do for you, some people pull from you, some people give to you, some some of times that's reciprocal. But that again, if if we're loving people, that has no bearing on our love. And we just put those things together in, in all of humanity. <laughs> if you do something good for me, I love you. Well, that's conditional love, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. I, I think um, the works are fundamentally a byproduct of the recognition and understanding of what God's really done. I think um, we're... I think that um, I think we underplay works, but I think we've gotten it wrong when we put the works before grace, and that's where I think the big the big connotation is is that religion says you've got to do this to either be saved or be accepted. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. Okay, so if why why was Jesus given in Philippians? Why was Jesus given the name above all names? I don't know your reference. Philippians 2, I'm going to read it. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, um, talks about the work, what Jesus did in uh, his time on the cross. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So there's something Jesus did. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even to the cross. Therefore, so because of his willingness to humble himself and his willingness to be obedient unto death, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that name that uh, that name of Jesus that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue shall confess. So, if Jesus, born of God, had not been willing to humble himself and be obedient to death, he would not have received the name that is above all names. That's what Paul's expressing here. That is what Paul's expressing there. And so, in that translation, for sure, I don't, I don't. Uh, there, that that checks my gut. Um, so I don't really know. Um, I'd have to dive into that more because I, I don't think. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine. Jesus not being God in that scenario. And yeah, other, you know what I'm saying? Totally. Like he, he's God. And so uh, I recognize that Paul's writing a letter to the Philippians. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, eh, and there's, that's in Greek. And <laughs> I think you're, I think you know. you're, you're missing what, well, what he's getting at. Go ahead. What I'm thinking of, or I think you are, well, that's you may fine. <laughs> from my vantage point, that's the beauty of recording these go. <laughs> Jesus was technically an earthly name. Mm-hmm. You call his name Jesus for he shall save his people. Okay. Well, he didn't earn the title till he actually completed the work. He truly became a savior because he died for our sins. He obeyed the Lord, went to the cross, rose again. All, all that he did even afterwards, going into heaven, sprinkling the blood, all this, that confirmed the covenant had been fulfilled. Uh, and in the process of all that, he triumphed over sin, Satan, everything. He is uppermost. He is supreme. Uh, in the beginning, he was the word who created. So that name, he is above everything Right, keep he's, going. He's above, he's above everything in that sense, uh, but technically, from an from an earthly uh, standpoint of fulfilling his work on the earth, he earned that title, and there is no savior but him. 
So there's no other name above his name because he truly is Jesus, our Savior, and he has saved us. So to me, it's tied to the fact that he completed. He was obedient to go all the way, do what he was sent to this earth to accomplish. Unlike the original Adam who fell, the last Adam right. came and completed the work and reinstated everything as God intended it to be. So here's how I think he's, what I think he's expressing here is that Jesus was given the name above all names because he fulfilled exactly the destiny for which he was created. I do not believe that without grace, we even have that opportunity. So there is the grace that brings us into the family that, that ignites what God has created us to do, whether that is you. Now, as you go through your life and you're following the father, you don't know the end result of what's awaiting you in heaven. Right. But as you're obedient here and you continue to follow, then you actually live out that which, which he has uh, designed for you. And for Christ, it was you're born to, to save the world, to be the savior of the world. So because, you know, maybe it all, maybe it all came down to the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Where, where that one side of Jesus was expressed, but then he humbled it and said, no, this is why I've come. Mm-hmm. Boom. And God says, now, because you have been obedient to me, I've given yeah. you the name above all names. I mean, I'm definitely predisposed and I'm going to say wired uh, because this is, I remember when I first got saved, I was a teenager and my grandma would always talk to me. She would read out of Revelation sometimes, but she would talk to me about being in heaven and the streets of gold and oh, yeah. Ruby stuff. And, and I, I never, it couldn't, it didn't work with me. My guts kept saying, and I literally said to her, I said, I feel like being homeless in heaven is still pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, like because it it lays out this sense of, of merit Mm -hmm. and earning of any, at any kind, you know, as opposed to, you know, the three of us around this table Mm -hmm. are on equal footing with in the eyes of God and totally. definitely not in the eyes of man. We, we build hierarchies and things like that, but in the eyes of God, we are absolutely on equal footing. And so does that change when I get to heaven based on my acts? I, I feel like my, and when I say feel, I'm just saying like, it doesn't resonate in my spirit that that's a reality. In fact, it seems so counter because if on earth I can simply say we're on equal footing with God, then why would that God never changing? Why would that change when I get to heaven? And so this idea, um, I, I, I'm got back to my predisposition. I'm predisposed to reject anything that justifies or merits through an action that I can possibly take. If there's anything I can do, and so when I hear Paul talking about that, all bets are off because we're talking about Jesus, who mm-hmm. was predetermined to come to Earth, who was prophesied to come to Earth and live accordingly. So even within the idea of he earned that name, that's human beings thinking within the context of time. He earned that name upon his existence, which was eternal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? In Genesis, we read that let us create man our own image. Jesus existed in Genesis. Mm -hmm. He was prophesied in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, he's prophesied, maybe not Jeremiah, the other ones, I don't remember. Anyway, he's prophesied that the Lord will come, that God will take human form. So so obviously he's outside of time in all of this, that we're inside time, God is not. So he operates within that, this is, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so as Paul's looking back, it's like that, you know, you can sit there and say, well, because of this, this, and that's totally possible, 
again, my spirit rejects this because as soon as I accept that because of a thing here, an action that I take, um, a physical thing, like I did, I fed the hungry here. And, and listen, mm-hmm. scripture is steeped with these realities, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Jesus himself talks about, um, you clothed me when I was naked, you know? And so he'll, in, in this parable, he's like, I'm going to say in the, those days, depart from me. I never knew you. Right. Uh, that, that is the part to me that, that makes that, that whole parable work as he says, I never knew you. Right. So anyway, and that's why I kind of go back to our actions are the byproduct, not the justification. That's, but that's my point. I think that what I was trying to say earlier, I think we, we look at the word works and because of how it has been presented, putting it before grace. Well, that then, definitely happens. Yeah. Then using that word on the backside of grace. Now what we do is we lump these things into that word that may not, should probably not be there. The yeah. point being that because of grace, this is what we do. And from the father's standpoint, you know, that is what I'm after. I'm after putting something in you and it flowing out of you. And if you're obedient, Mm -hmm. then the Bible does indicate there are rewards, but here's the balance of it where I think perhaps from my vantage point, the great, the greatest humbling of our humanity, whatever of it is left is when those rewards are handed out. What do we do with them? Well, as far as the crowns, we're going to cast them at his feet. So at the end of the day, right. boom, it doesn't matter. Which is the irony again to it all. Exactly. Like, so, so what now? What is going? But but it's to your point. I mean, I think the thing is, a hundred percent. Let's just speak in practical terms. Typically, in my personal experience, the charismatic side of Christianity has elevated works, and what they've done is they've used works as a proof of your mm-hmm. position with God. Right. right? So. The evangelicals, um, which I'll classify as the non-charismatics, but other than that, they pretty much believe everything that the charismatics believe. Um, they tend to they they work in the past. <laughs> if your if your your life and your works don't uh, res- or don't uh, uh, echo what we think it should echo, then you you never knew God in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So they they just live in these worlds, and I simply say these positions are academically stupid (laughs) because no man can tell me if I'm right with God. No man can do it. It's impossible. So I can look at someone, and and, and I've said this before when I've been pressed on it, uh, by the individual. Do you think I'm saved? I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) Tell me why, tell me your, you make your arguments, right? Well, when their arguments are based on living right, I'm going to say, well, I mean, I don't, if you've never met Jesus, that's a problem, right? He's the pathway to the father because he's the only perfect man. If they tell me that and they start talking about not living right, then I'm not going to address whether they're going to heaven or hell. I'm going to say you're convicted. What do you do with that conviction? If you're asking me about it. And so I, I stray away from telling any human whether, and here's the number one reason why I'm not God. And if I tell you that you're right with God and I'm wrong, guess who's going to talk to me about it? God. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to say, Hey, Jer, real quick. um, Why did you step into my role? Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that becomes a, a fundamental issue. And so I go back to the earning part. I just don't, I know that there's no way I can ever earn. Exactly. And right. And none of us here say that, right. That that is not what we're saying. Exactly. And so, so again, that's why there's this cognitive dissonance in me. (laughs) The question that I'm posing is, 
and, and I'm, I'm using a term, uh, I'm trying to use a different term than what I grew up with. Because just like I think people who put works before grace. I think it, the other can be true too. Okay. Yeah. Those who or put not, yeah, go works ahead. that works lead you to grace. The backside of this on the extreme is called holiness. That you are holy based on what you do. Mm. Okay. You're holy based on what you wear. You're holy based on what you don't do or what you don't wear. Um, that to me is the, the that's flip also side. Works. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. So if that's not what I'm trying to express, but I'm trying to dig into what about where is the righteous living mm-hmm. that does drive us, that, that is driven from this connection to the father that causes you to stand out mm-hmm. as the world continues to get darker. This comes back to a person who, and I, and I know several folks that are in this this world, but where we're, we're they're basically going, hey man, we're anti-works, right? So as soon as I feel compelled to do something, because I've, you know, for whatever reason, I'm gonna reject that right. dude. And, and that's dumb too, right? I mean, because ex- exactly this, I mean, Paul, it's like sin, right? It's like people who go, I'm saved by grace, and to prove it, I'm, I'm going to go, go sin, sin, right? Even though Paul, even though the Bible says, "Don't use God's well, grace." Well, exactly, and that's that's kind of the the oddness of it all is no matter what, if God's asked you to do something, it's disobedience for you to knowingly not do it, and yeah. and you know, even the word obey, you know, some people get upset about, it. and I understand why because the human the corruption of it all, but it's not human. Right. I mean, my relationship yeah, with true. God is not that's about a, a human relationship. It's a it's about a spiritual relationship, which involves a human, <laughs> but it's not one sided. In yeah. fact, it's very lopsided on His end, as should be, in my opinion. And so, I think that that is where I find such an interesting struggle in the circles that I run in. Is that I have on the you know, and so I can be in a conversation and sound you know, depending on your filter, I sound uber grace or uber works because of the filter and what i am is i do all sorts of crap for god and the people hate that word for god mm-hmm. and what i'm and i mean that in the most practical of ways they want to change it to from god well that's also true but it's also <laughs> true not just true it is for him Sure just it like is. when I buy my wife candy for her. Sure. There's nothing wrong with doing something for God because I'm not doing it for God because I need to earn something or get something back. I'm doing it for God because I love him. If you can't get that, I'm going to challenge anybody who's hearing this who defaults to earning or defaults to you shouldn't do anything for God to earn his grace. You don't love him. Exactly. Because I don't I consider your stupid rules. I love my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as a result of that, I'm going to do what I feel like would bless him. And sometimes that's by instruction. Sometimes it's him telling me, hey, Jer, go do this. He never says, Jer, I don't want to say that twice today. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, why don't, you know, I would like you to do this. And he speaks to me sarcastically because I'm sarcastic. Hey, I'm going to act. I'm going to be like Ross on Friends right now. Let's pivot. Yeah. Sorry. Hey, Pop. What do you, you, we've been talking for a while. What, what, what do you want to say to what you're hearing? Yeah, there's a whole lot. We'll what, go. what comes to my mind is John 15, uh, the branch is a part of the vine. If you're connected, you're going to produce fruit. Yeah. What is fruit? It's what it's we would work. call works or, or expressions. Expressions. That's a great word. Expressions of godliness or the life of God in us. Um, what determines whether it's of the flesh or of the spirit is the motive of your heart. 
Mm-hmm. If I'm doing something to try to gain something from God, that's a flesh work. That's a that doesn't produce anything in God's economy. That's why those little stand before him. We did this. We did this. I never knew you because they were never connected to him. They were never. They weren't replicating him. They were doing it for their own benefit, whatever that might have been. Even though they looked like they were doing good works, their motives were wrong. Um, and. But in the context of the branch being attached to the vine, that says everything flows from God through me. I don't generate anything. So of God, for God, whatever, argue that if you want to. I'm going to live the life. Mm -hmm. If he produces fruit through me, it's to his glory and honor. And he says we are to honor him and glorify him by bringing forth much fruit and fruit that remains too. What is that? That's eternal works. That's works that are done out of love. I think it's interesting. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, you know, they, so many people have, quote, gone over and come back and have written books about what happens over there uh, in, in, in the context of being resuscitated. And one book that I've read, you know, you've read Dr. Moody. Uh, yeah. Interviewed hundreds of people that he personally resuscitated as an emergency care doctor. Um, and one of the things that he brings out in a sequel to his original book is – uh, that when you get there, it's like your whole life flashes before you, but it's not punitive. Mm. It's not finger pointing. Mm-hmm. Look how bad you were. That's erased by his saving grace. They said the impact it had was look at how you hurt others by what you said or did. It was the impact you were making, not self-inflicting sin on your life or calling it sin in the sense that you, quote, miss the mark. Because, of course, if we're in Christ, that's not relevant. Yeah. But it's living your life concerned about others. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And so the message was by these people, collectively, hundreds of people, when they came back, we're in this world to learn to love. The greatest of these is love, expressing love. Wherever love is, there's God. I don't care what form it comes in. That's an expression of God because God is love, right? And so I think in this context of self-justification and trying to make ourselves righteous in what we think the eyes of God would be approving of, we create all these agendas. Mm -hmm. And then we argue over semantics. Let's just go love people. Exactly. Let's go go express (laughs) Christ, and Christ is love. He loved us in our sin. He was willing to give himself up for us. And where are all these people that are sitting arguing around a table? <laughs> where, where, where are they out there giving themselves up for somebody? Right. Where are they out there just laying their life down to show the love of God, putting others before themselves, you know? I mean, that's the essence of it all. And when you boil it all down, when we stand in his presence, that's going to be the relative factor. Did I honor him with my life? Mm-hmm. Not but not based on my agenda, what I think is right or wrong, good or evil, or uh, justifiable before God. Did I just live out the life that's flowing through me, like the the life that comes out of out of a vine to a branch? And there's different branches, different branches. Some are longer, some are fuller. Uh, but it's the life of God. Mm-hmm. It's not me comparing myself to the other branch and trying to produce the fruit. The other branch. If I just be myself, I'm going to produce the fruit. And that's what liberated me in ministry. I finally gave up the fact that I judged myself based upon the size of building, the size of budget, the size of, of, right. of people that you, you minister to versus just obeying God. If I just give a cup of cold water in his name, I'm going to get a well done. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what I'm here for, to just give a cup of cold water. Who, put, who puts the agenda here? We do. Yes. Right? 
And he told me, if I just saved you to save one other person and you did that, you're going to receive a reward that Billy Graham, who won millions of mm-hmm. people to Christ, received because he was obedient. He brought a lot of fruit on his vine. Bring out the fruit on your on your branch that you're supposed to produce, and you're going to get it well done. Mm-hmm. It's like Wayne and Donna Hines, which we all know. We, You know, the last question that ever came to mind was to ask him about theology. Mm-hmm. Not because he doesn't have theology, yeah. Because I didn't care. I saw sure, him yeah. loving people. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I sure. the first time I met him was at the restaurant they had in in uh, McLeod, mm-hmm. and I would go in there, and I'm like, they're just they love people. You felt the love from them, yeah. and so I didn't. I, it, what, upon feeling the love, I was not inspired to go. So where do you stand on the rapture? Right. Pre trip, post trip, it's a rapture thing, <laughs> or, or any kind of doctrine. Sure. Because again, it's that's a thing it's not who we are his life was the doctrine his life produced the fruit his life is the teacher his life is the essence of of what he believes and and to me i think that's what it's really going to come down to in the eyes of god Mm -hmm. you know that we did we did we obey him in the sense that we produce the love of god we express the love of god agreed i think we can even as somebody who is a i love theology but um there we have to come come to an honest place of saying there are some things that are fun to talk about yeah and theorize I love talking about ufos <laughs> exactly. i mean it's fun yeah there are some <laughs> things that are fun to talk about theorize you know could this be but at the end of the day you know the challenge and the call of all of us is not about ourselves but it's about other people mm-hmm. and um that i want to pull this scripture in and let's see where we go with this this is out of revelations chapter three um if you know anything about the book of revelation the first three three chapters are are pretty important um especially chapters two and three are statements jesus makes to churches um and they were literal churches but man their message applies to us today and most people are familiar with the church of laodicea if you have a bible that has headings in it uh, one of the most often used headings to describe this church is the lukewarm church um and man we've We've heard preachers for years talk about about a specific approach to this. I, I would like for us to look at perhaps another one that ties in directly to what we're talking about. So here's the scripture in uh, Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verse 15, start at verse 15. Um, Jesus says to them, I know all the things you do. First of all, that worries me sometimes. <laughs> you know, because if he knows all the things we do, then he knows the heart behind which we're doing them. And some people can do good things that to others, to go into one of your conversations, Jeremy, look like love, but it's driven from a self-centered heart. Oh, man, so therefore man. it's not love or trying to get a, a following or whatever. But Jesus says, I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I have everything I want and I don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor blind and naked so I advise you to buy from me gold that has been purified in the fire then you will be rich and also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness an ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see 
Now, listen, guys, that is verse 18. Listen, he is not talking about works, and he's not talking about buying anything from God. He's using an expression that they would have understood in Laodicea, okay? Because as wealthy as they were, they couldn't buy the love and the righteousness of God. And as much textile factories as they had, they couldn't cover the nakedness of their sin in his presence. Only that can come from the Father. So he's using imagery here that they would have understood. Verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share, share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I want us to talk for a few minutes on this idea of hot, cold, and lukewarm water. Um, for most of my lifetime, I don't know about yours, Jeremy, but for most of mine, it was, God wants you to be hot. He doesn't want you to be cold. Cold is anti-God, you know, it's, and, um, uh, and then he definitely doesn't want you to be stuck in the middle be this Christian that isn't on fire. And if you're that person, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. Well, if that, if that vernacular is true, then God in his own, let Jesus in his own letter says, I wish you were cold. Right. I wish you were against me. And for me and my spirit, I have trouble with that one. But when I think about he's using water that's hot and cold and lukewarm, for me, it comes down to coffee. I love hot coffee. My One of my daughters loves iced coffee. I don't like iced coffee. She likes iced coffee. One thing I guarantee you, I do not like, and I don't know too many people that do, is coffee that's been setting out for about two hours and just going up and drinking it. Yeah, there's a huge market with uh, thermal mugs for this reason. For, exactly, so that it doesn't get <laughs> right. lukewarm, you know, room temperature. Um, and uh, when it's a hot summer day, I love using this analogy because it just works for me. When it's a hot summer day, um, I like I like some good iced tea um, because it's 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 soothing, it's refreshing, you know. But when it's freezing outside i want a good cup of hot chocolate (laughs) because it's comforting and i wonder what if god could be saying and i would like to hear what you guys think um could be talking to this church here and saying hey no one's getting refreshed out of you and no one's being comforted by you in fact you're not even producing anything that 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 benefits somebody else from that vantage point again it's not about you either it's all about what's coming out of you and what, what's benefiting other people. And to me, I think that would be, a, that's, that is the great challenge of balancing this whole idea of, okay, I want to, I want to have my life uh, match my faith, but I'm not going to try to make that happen like I do with works to get to grace, but I'm going to realize, you know what? He wants me to be nothing but a conduit and what he puts into me, just make sure son that People are being refreshed when they interact with you. And are people being comforted when they interact with you? I think that might be, I, I put that, that, I think that might be a good I, interpretation of that. What do you guys think? Well, on the hot and cold side, I, I, I agree with you. I think fact is it says hot and cold. I'd rather you be <laughs> hot or cold. That's what it says. So I think, again, we often read that in terms of heaven or hell. I'd rather you go to heaven or hell. That's not what he said. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. So, um, I, I kind of see this, like when I read that scripture, I think of people who are casual, right? So like if you're doing any kind of an event, like I, you know, play paintball and stuff, it, I, I don't want guys to be lukewarm with paintball. 
And what I mean by that is I don't need, I don't care if you're hot or cold. I just kind of want to know where you stand because <laughs> I'm leading this group of guys. Yeah. And so if they're like, yeah, I might come. <laughs> okay. Well, I might make arrangements for you to be there. Like, what do you do with that? You know? And I think in terms of if I take salvation out of that equation and I speak just in terms of effectiveness of expansion of the kingdom, a cold person is every bit as effective as a hot person. If cold even means they're not, um, active. I'd rather you shut up and sit over there <laughs> and, and not do anything than to do this middle ground crap and show the whole world that, you know, well, you just kind of, you know, Sundays are fun and, and, you know, every once in a while I'll go do an outreach. And, and, and again, these are all the do's, right? He's like, be hot or cold. Cause if you're hot, let's say hot means very active and, and pursuing all of these opportunities to, to grow the kingdom. Well, that's great. And so I, I don't know, man, I, that's definitely, that's just what I feel in it is, is the, the, cause he even said, you know, right. He's going to spew you out of his mouth. Like this is terrible. There is nothing, there is no redeeming quality. And I'm not, again, not talking about salvation, but I mean, just in practical, sure. there's no redeeming quality of middle of the road. If you, to, you know, you talk about that, take a think about food. I'm fine having a sandwich, right? Mm -hmm. it, when you go and you get a, a toasted sub, and then it sits and it's warm. It's gross. Mm -hmm. Warm lettuce isn't good. Exactly. Hot lettuce is actually okay if it. I mean, Ooh, I mean, I can't do it. what I mean by that is, if I'm if it's a hot enough sandwich, I don't notice where the yeah. lettuce is at. Right. Right. Um, I prefer, it, of course, to be cold and crisp and have both flavors. Mm -hmm. Hello. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or I will spew it out of my right. mouth. Right. <laughs> because, ah. But but I'm fine with a cold sandwich. Everything can be cold. Um. And so you know. I, I don't know. It's funny though that we do land on that whole cold means because it wouldn't make sense it at all. It would. I mean, it doesn't make sense, especially um, when you consider that he's writing to people that he considers that are the church, right? And, and um, that's so. that's the thing. When you take salvation out of the equation, now you're just talking about their their participation with the kingdom. You know, and I think the problem is with works-based predisposition, we can't do it. It's an impossibility to take salvation out of the equation because you're works-based. Mm -hmm. So that means your works will then justify you or not justify you. And, and I think that's another massive proof of scripture um, and God's position on that. It cannot possibly be works-based mm -hmm. because you could never, there, there would be no one no one could get right. to heaven. Anyway, go ahead. What do you think, Dad, about hot, cold, lukewarm? Well, I think what he's re uh, one point that I uh, think of is it goes again back to the whole conflict of this uh, existence as we know it is self will versus doing God's will. This was a church that was very self centered, narcissistic. It was yeah. all about me. They didn't care about other people, so they weren't going to refresh. They weren't going to comfort. It's all about me. Same thing Paul had to deal with the, with the church at Corinth. Um, same thing James talks about. When you come in, don't go up and take the front seat. Sit in the back, and then you'll be called to the front, right? Um, and so uh, when I am thinking only of myself, I'm oblivious to the needs of Jeremy right. or John. It doesn't matter to me because I'm just, I'm just, it's just me. And that's the whole culture we're living in today, really. Um, versus the fact that is it is it selfishness or is it self-sacrifice? Is it about me or am I endeavoring to care about others? Mm -hmm. It goes back to that uh, statement made earlier. You've done all these things in my name, but I never knew never you. Never knew you. 
You're not ref- you're not reflecting me. You don't have me in you. It's not it's not my life flowing out of you, because that knowing in the biblical terms is is intercourse. It's becoming one, and that's really what intercourse. But you, the two become one, um, and so we can do things outside of Christ that looks good, but the motive is wrong. And he says God looks on the heart. So I think that's the issue there. Uh, they were so concerned about themselves and so self centered. It didn't matter uh, about other people and. Uh, uh, yeah, God says uh, to those who stand before him on that day, I'll depart from me. Mm-hmm. In other words, he spews them out of his mouth, if you want to look in that context, but because they did things, but they weren't doing it out of love for Christ or love for people, just out of their own self-promotion, whatever they gained by it. And he said, don't let your righteousness be like that of the scribes and Pharisees who were all about self-promotion and getting attention and doing things so they could get the accolades and look good in the eyes of people and everything else, which is so much what religion has become in many ways, that I think he regurgitates that. I think he vomits that out because that's not him in the sense that what about the people that are outside, the poor, the blind, the naked? He said, go find them, bring them in because, you know, those who who could come don't come, you know, come Mm -hmm. to the wedding feast. In that parable go go find those that will will come they want to eat they want to know me they want the comfort they want to be refreshed bring them mm-hmm. in and so anyway um it's just that same old uh, bedrock issue am i living for myself is it all about me or do i really care about other people <clears throat> and it comes again down to the love of god am i expressing the love of god which is compassion and mercy f- toward other people regardless of what the situation might be Am I asking the Lord, what can I do? What would you have me do? Is he prompting me to uh, give somebody a dollar or give them a sandwich on the corner or uh, give them clothes if they're naked? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So I do. And so even right there, cause I was sitting here thinking about that. If we're not careful, that has this tinge of, of workspace where we predetermine if I do this, that is a check in my column over here. And I guess we're, where I'm at with this whole hot, cold and lukewarm, at least where it resonates with me is um, just knowing that area that Laodicea had to pipe in water from two other cities, one that was famous for hot water, one that was famous for cold water. And that when it got through the aqueducts to them, it was neither. So there's the analogy that, that Jesus is drawing from, but that both that Laodicea was so far removed from the source that they're tapping into a source that by the time it gets to them, it's not the same. And I think if we predetermine what those quote good works are, or like I said, you know, the scripture in revelation 19, it talks about that, that, um, the linen is the deeds of God's people. When we predetermine what those deeds equal, I think that's, that's that works based thing. Instead of just saying, you know what, Lord, I know that your love has refreshed me. Your, your love comforts me. And so wherever and whatever way you, you lead me or talk to me or guide me or put me in opportunities or whatever, that the goal then is to make sure that, okay, we are refreshing, we are comforting, but we're not predetermining what those are. It's just because of what is in you, which is him, what he wants more than anything, I think, is for us to quit trying to build channels for how that comes out and name those channels, because then we get into this idea of, well, those who God has put a channel in them to meet the hungry, 
in the poor well then if we're not careful we begin to look at others who god has channeled them to to flow out of them another way and we begin to judge them because they're not doing it the way that we're doing it yeah instead just open yourself up if if you've accepted christ as your savior the lord is in you life is in you love is in you and just seek to be comforting and refreshing to people and then let the let the rest of it fall where it may well the, the focus in those in that context of uh, the water the water was the issue the water was the subject yeah but there had to be a conduit if the water was going to get dispersed okay and so we have to be a conduit we're, we're to be a conduit to express the life-giving water of, of christ right. right and so there is an element of responsibility of doing he did tell us to do specific things in scripture did he tell everybody to do the same thing no because then you have to couple that with the context of the body made up of many parts each part has its part to you know so we're not saying everybody has to do the same thing but the point is well we simply do what he shows us and tells us to do that's how jesus lived i only do what my father shows me and tells Mm -hmm. me right and so there may be a day I feel prompted by the Spirit of God to go give that person on the corner something. I don't give every person on the corner something. Right. Because that's just a self-work thing, maybe to alleviate my own sense of conscious, uh, consciousness, right? But what if God didn't tell me to do that? But what if he does tell me to do that? Well, I do that. And am I doing it to get Oh, look what I did today. Hey, by the way, church, I fed 500 people today. Right. Well, okay, but what was the motive behind it? So you could get your face on, on a, in a magazine, so you could write a big story about your great accomplishments, mm-hmm. which is what the church does today primarily, versus did you just do it? He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't, don't toot your horn on the corner like the Pharisees. Right. Just go do, go love. Exactly. Right? And so that's that element of life flowing out of the vine through the branch, the water flowing through the conduit that had to be constructed if that water was going to get to other cities, mm-hmm. which it did. And, 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 and the, the context of the water was relevant based upon where it flowed and how far it flowed, right? Uh, but the fact still remains, uh, there has to be a flow, and we have to be a conduit in the eyes of God, because we're the only ones that have, have flesh on that they can see and hear right. God, right? So it all comes down to motive. It all comes down to the intent of the heart. That's what he judges. Go ahead and give yourself great uh, uh, witness. Put, put your name in lights if you want to, but if it wasn't out of a right motive, he says, I don't know you. Right. I'm not going to reward that. That's wood, hay, and stubble, right? <clears throat> and really this idea of flowing, letting things flow out of you, um, is another topic that we got that we talk yeah. about a lot um and it's a spirit it's a christian ease topic that i think we're trying to redefine in in a more honest christ-centered way um that jeremy i want you to speak into this about when we say letting things that god has put in you flow out of you that's simply flowing with the spirit um what has been your journey with that kind of a with that topic well because <clears throat> you're very real with it yeah <laughs> I spent uh, the the early part of my Christian life, or the the bulk of it, we'll say, um, pigeonholing myself to what it, that meant, right? So it was compartmentalized. Um, I'm going to flow with God in worship. I'm going to flow with God, you know, yeah. when I'm in this in this mechanism. So it's like 
I'm not flowing with God right now because that's I'm not <laughs> yeah. doing those things right now. I'm just talking right. No, so, so it's just really broken. Yeah. But I think the other thing is is um, you know kind of combining with what was just coming up here too about this idea of um, some sort of hierarchical value to the actions that God's called people to do. Um, so we we can easily in Christendom we look at it and go pastors a high calling evangelist you know, those five full ministry gifts and especially when they're truly in action and not just in title only we're 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 going to weight those really heavy. Mm. Um, but what about all the things that aren't listed there? How, how about just obedience? Right. So to me, obedience hearing the voice of God and having the courage to do what he tells me to do within that or instructs me to do in that. That's the same. It's exactly. there is yeah. no, there is no weight one way or the other. Obedience is obedience. Right. <laughs> right. So I agree. Totally. So, I mean, I am just as proud as my kid. If I say, make your bed and he does it, then if I ask him to do a totally different task and he, it's, it, it's about him doing what I've asked him to do. So, for me, the big flip in the flow is recognizing that it's, it is truly constant. And personally, over the last, I'd probably say, started in January 2019, it flowed, it got more significant in 2020, where my, truly my daily is what it is. Like, I don't, I don't look at anything as a, uh, just a random act you know so like if i today for example i my routine got shifted a little bit i my first response is to be frustrated a little bit but then it's like eh, (laughs) there's probably a reason why my routine got shifted that i may never know you know and so i just ignore that and go okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do the things that i want to do but even if I don't, that's also okay. And just to be more sensitive and constantly ready and looking for the opportunity. Um, and, and, and it's about being sober minded in that. I may not always be totally vigilant in, in saying, okay, here's this, like walking into a Seven Eleven and seeing a person and speaking life to them. Mm-hmm. I may not always be vigilant in that, but if I am sober minded about the possibility of that, all the time. And I keep that focus, you know, sometimes that means I'm driving in. If I've got a 30 minute commute somewhere, there's a lot of times that I just will call somebody Mm -hmm. because it's just, I thought, Oh, I haven't heard from them in a while. I'm gonna call them. And maybe it's nothing, or maybe that person didn't know they needed to hear from me. Right. You know, we want it to be, Oh, I'm so glad you called. I was just in deep prayer and God said, you need to reach out to Jeremy because of this and it's divine. And we get all excited about that. But but even better is maybe not better, but what I, what is equally as powerful is when we're not hearing either one of us, the, the other person, neither one of us heard anything. God just gave a direction. I picked up the phone, talked to somebody, and then a week from now, something I said in that call is going to maybe save their life. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, we don't we can't judge that significance. And I've you know I've told that story before about writing you know writing music to this song that. Uh, lady did when I was younger and and then 20 years later seeing the impact of that that I had no clue mm-hmm. I mean I would have I forgot about the thing you know so anyway I, I think that's probably the, been the distinctions for me is just being sober-minded about God is constantly moving he's using me um, whether I know it or not and and it's about being a tool you know one analogy I talk about all the time is is I 
learning about how many tools are out there. Right. <laughs> and, and let's just speak in terms of woodworking tools because <laughs> you have to do categories. But if you just speak in terms of woodworking tools, there are thousands upon thousands and they yeah. all serve a very specific purpose. And if I've learned anything, the old adage, right tool for the job is absolutely accurate. If you try to use a tool that's not designed to it, you're going to break the tool and you're going to break the project some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I have a few specialty tools and you don't buy them till you need them typically because that's just good stewardship. (laughs) (laughs) But, but when you buy them, when you need them, you use them when you need them. Right. Because anything, nothing else will do. And this is how God's designed each one of us. We are a tool in the master's hand. And so many people devalue themselves because they don't feel like they've been used. God may not need a diamond cut saw blade until he does. Mm-hmm. And he always need because again, he's outside of time. We're in it. So we're sitting here recognizing time waiting to be used. And the reality is we're used. Right? right we may be sitting on the wall but when it's time to use it it becomes the single most valuable tool in your arsenal because that's what we need in that moment to execute the end result and and where's the glory in all the various tools the finished product that's right christ is going to offer his bride up to the father you know this is another challenge we have is we don't understand this this connectedness that that we're all one body and what I do here is my part adding to the finished product. What you do is your part adding to the finished product. I'm not comparing my tool to yours. I'm not comparing my work to yours. We're doing it to produce the product. Right. We're here to bring glory and honor to Christ in that sense, right? And so, again, the focus, when you get into the self-context of it all, it's all about, well, my tool versus your tool and what I did versus what you did. In reality, from God's perspective, hey, it all works together to bring honor and glory to the Father because that's the ultimate in the end, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we can get off this self-context into the reality of this uh, glorifying God through relationship with Christ and with each other, valuing each other, I bless you because you use your tool and Mm -hmm. your tool is significant, whatever it is, because you're adding to each joint supplies something in the body, right? So it's just the context of, of thought versus uh, my focus on self versus the collective thought of let's, thought of let's bring glory and honor to Christ. So I can bless you in what you're doing because we're working together to bring honor and glory to Christ. So anyway. Well, here's what I'm hearing today. Let me see if I can summarize it. And, and uh, at least what, what the Father is speaking to me is um, just like any tool is created to uh, – perform a specific function or meet a specific need um if we're a screwdriver or a wrench or whatever our greatest joy should be the fact that we are in his tool chest right you know and that's that is the connection to the father okay whatever you do do it with all your heart to bring glory to god Mm -hmm. that's technically the overlay so just be glad that we're in the tool chest first of all yeah and then where the works thing in the negative can be illustrated i think is when the screwdriver is sitting there in the tool chest and begins to scream i haven't been used in two years <laughs> you know i gotta do something and then they begin to try to force the lid open and yeah. pop themselves out and find something if you're, to do. if you're working with wood and you've got a drill 
and it just goes off on its own. Yeah. You're going to use that drill? <laughs> no. You're going to set that drill way over, far away from you yeah. and get the drill that's sitting there and doing nothing right. until you've pressed the button. Right. Because that's an unsafe drill. Mm-hmm. And the very same thing exists. If I go off and do stuff outside of God's direction, I'm an unsafe yeah. tool in his chest because I, I'm, I'm not even, he's got nothing to do with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just building something. Right. But I only have, that's my skill set. I'm a drill. What happens when I need a hammer? (laughs) Right? But that's the thing. When God's building the thing, we're doing our part. Right. And then he brings in whatever other tools needed. So if we're that screwdriver in my example there and you get, we get agitated because we aren't working, we're not doing something because that's the human side of us that feels like we've got to do something. Um, then we get agitated and so we try to pop the lid off and then we try to go find something to do well that's just really bad and i've been in ministry long enough to um i'm really (laughs) i'm really cracking up at how we're using the word tool all over the place but anyway um how i've seen some screwdrivers pop into a church or whatever that i'm at and all they want to do is find a place to do something that's that screwdriver that's popped out of the out of the tool chest you know um but really it's not about what i produce or you produce that's not the works that follow after grace it's the work of god which is building his bride and that's where i i I think going back to the water if he wants us to be nothing but a conduit you don't own anything that comes out of you because it didn't originate with you neither do i we are nothing but conduits and if we will allow ourselves to be connected to the father and just be happy to be in his hands you know and what what a better place for a lot of us as christians as christ followers to really wrap our brain around and we we can go into this another time um, because i know it's a big topic with you but sometimes it's okay to rest in the tool chest and not be used it's okay to be in that state it's okay. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that you're not effective or you're not important. It just means right now he needs you to just rest. Your very existence is often the the value, right? And it, it's going to be way out there on the analogy scale, but uh, nuclear weapons uh, perform a task just by existing. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's their primary uh, execution to this point in history. <laughs> yeah, they've not been used outside of tests. Uh, we've had atomic weapons used, but nuclear weapons have not been used outside of just testing them. Um, yet they act as a deterrent to war in a constant, you know, constantly. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reality: is that your existence is is effective, even yeah. if you're just resting. In even fact, if you're just resting. In fact, that is where you're most effective (laughs) but yes we'll get into it another time it's good so here's my encouragement to us today as we kind of wrap up this is what we do on mondays folks we sit around and we talk about this stuff and we wanted to record it and share it with you this week and i believe that the holy spirit is wanting to encourage you to first of all be connected to the father realize that he is in you and he wants to flow out of you if we want to set any goal for ourselves maybe it would be simply to say lord let me be refreshing to somebody today let me be comforting to somebody today lord let me see how i can be your tool your hand extended and know that we're doing his will all the time thanks for being with us 
on the New Life Podcast today. We'll see you next week. God bless.